DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Begin Again, The Spiritual Legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teachings about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of several books published by the Crossroads Publishing Company on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the Spiritual Teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Begin again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be back. Talk to us about some of the struggles that he would encounter upon entering into his priesthood. There was a a reasonable kind of peace in the first years of his priesthood, but he saw the culture under the influence of the Enlightenment in his native country of Piedmont up in the northwestern corner of Italy. He saw it moving rapidly and decisively away from the faith and toward what we've come to call the secular modern culture. Not too many years into his priesthood, that cultural influence would affect also the political life of his nation as the the French Revolution sent armies and took over his nation. And from that point on, for the next 20 years of his priesthood, the church was in a situation of persecution, and a lot had to go underground in those years. So it was a time when, in a sense, the worst had happened. The things that we can be afraid of, that Cultural, cultural freedom will be taken away from us in the exercise of our faith or that there'll be penalties to pay for those who are true to their conscience as Catholics. The worst had happened and the penalties were there and he had to face them and in fact uh, would pay the price later on. There were also the difficulties that arose from his ongoing struggles of health which never left him throughout his life and could prostrate him, strip him of energy, make it difficult for him to use his eyes for days or weeks at a time. And so he carried on what was a remarkably active ministry in the service of countless numbers of people at the price of the poor health that he had to accept each day and except in a way that did not allow him, did not impede him from exercising his ministry. But on another level, there were spiritual struggles. And these were the the struggles that I think, Chris, uh, we all know in some degree. When we reach a point in our life in which we want to be faithful to Christ, we want to live our Catholic faith seriously and deeply. We want to be people of prayer. We want to be people who live the virtues and the way of life that Jesus teaches in the gospel, then we encounter a resistance within ourselves, not only from around us in the culture, but even from within, which theologically we understand as a legacy of original sin. We call that concupiscence and and all that goes with it. Venerable Lanteri was no exception to this. In some ways, it was his very desire to live his faith deeply and to really seek the holiness of the saints that made him all the more aware of these kinds of struggles. So to begin with something uh, very basic, he tried throughout his life to arise early in the morning and begin his day with an unhurried time of prayer. 
and it was hard to do. It meant getting up early in the morning. And so you'll find him at times in his retreat notes when he looks at areas where he needs to improve. This is one very basic one, just to have the courage and the willingness to get up in the morning and have time for prayer. Another struggle that he faced was his desire to be openly professed as a Catholic, visibly, publicly a priest, and a faithful member of the Catholic Church in the midst of a culture, even though it was nominally Catholic, and in exterior forms uh, continued to be Catholic, and certainly there were great numbers of wonderful Catholics, but which was in its overall direction heading away from the Catholic faith. And so that to be publicly a Catholic and professed publicly as a Catholic in public places meant incurring the scorn and rejection of various segments of the culture. He found within himself that his desire to be courageously a Catholic ran up against the fear of what we call human respect, of not wanting to undergo that kind of scorn or rejection from others in the culture around him. And so he will note at times in his journals that he's given in on this. He hasn't been as courageous as he wants to be. And he resolves afresh to try to be courageous in his public witness to his faith and turns to God in prayer asking for help to do that. Another struggle that he encountered, which really says a lot about how he viewed what makes us strong in our Catholic faith, arose from his conviction that what makes the difference between a Catholic who is born a Catholic but drifts with the culture and tends to live more in our nation as an American following the popular culture in our country rather than the Catholic faith into which he or she was born, what makes the difference between the one or the other is the willingness to reflect seriously on the faith that we profess as Catholics, to explore it, to think about it, to meditate on it, to reflect on it, so that what is given to us, simply handed down to us culturally, becomes something that we appropriate personally, and we live deeply out of a personal conviction. But in order to make that transition, a person has to be willing to take the time and expend the mental and spiritual energy required in order to to deeply lay hold in a personal way of our faith. And that takes labor. Study is never easy for any one of us. Application to spiritual things takes a kind of effort that is not required in the same way when we open ourselves to things around us in the world. That just very simply says that we have bodies with eyes and ears and and the rest that can take in what is around us that's natural to us. And an additional kind of effort is required when we want to be attentive to spiritual things, prayer or study. And he notes in himself at times that his conviction is not as strong as he would want it to be in some aspects of living his faith, and sees that the reason for this is that he has shied away from the effort required to lay hold deeply of these truths through prayer and meditation and reflection and study on them. And so there again, he renews the effort, renews the proposal, turns to God again in prayer, asking for the strength to live in such a way that day by day, week by week, he is personally appropriating ever more deeply his faith in a way that will transform then the way that uh, he lives this. Well, it just seems as though there's nothing new under the sun, is there? To hear what he was up against, I, I don't doubt many feel the same struggles today. Well, I think if we begin with the cultural struggles, we all feel a certain uneasiness as we look at the direction of things in the first world and in our own country. 
and the way things are going in terms of the laws that are being passed, uh, the way things that are, are things are going in the overall drift of the culture, which gets increasingly distant from the Christian faith that in which we believe and that we want to live. And it's easy to become afraid. I can't help but think that this young priest, ordained at 23, as he lived the years of his 20s, knowing that there was just a very thin border of a few miles between where he lived and this, by contrast, much more powerful and large nation, France, which became a dominant power in the world during those years. And seeing the the decisive movement away from the faith in the Enlightenment and then the violent turn that this took once the revolution started, uh, which meant nationalizing of church property, the cutting off of the Catholic Church in France from Rome. It meant first deportation and not long after the martyrdom of priests and nuns, the forcible suppression of religious life, the subjection of parish priests to the laws of the country, which were entirely secular and dechristianized. Watching all of this happen just a few miles away and knowing that his own small nation would never have the military capacity to resist an invasion and watching the armies grow and the battles begin, it must have been very hard for him and others like him not to be afraid in those years, wondering what was going to come. And on a human level, their fears were justified because, as I said earlier, the worst did happen when he was in his early 30s and would go on for the next 20 years. So that to be faithful to his Catholic faith and to the Holy Father in those years meant risking his life, as in, as in fact he did. How do you find courage and strength and remain faithful? Remarkably, this was a man who not only found that hope and that courage within himself, but was, as later witnesses would say, perhaps the one who more than any other in his native uh, city of, of Turin, the capital of his nation, the one who more than any other through his spiritual direction, confessional work, communication by letters, encouraged others to remain faithful to their Catholic faith throughout those years of trial and difficulty. So that he found within himself, I think from the wellsprings of prayer, a deep and faithful life of prayer. As I said earlier that some of the struggles that I've named become struggles when a person wants decisively to give him or herself to God in whatever the vocation God has called us to, to live. It's at that point that we begin to discover the resistances and the struggles, that those were the kinds of spiritual struggles which he faced, which, as you're saying, Chris, are, there isn't anything new under the sun. We can all recognize with our own individual nuances, these same kinds of struggles in our own lives. Now, if we speak then about struggles with health, who of us does not know those? And perhaps increasingly as the years of life go by, the struggles and how easily they can close us in on ourselves, how easily they can lead us to withdraw from reaching out to others in the family or in work or in the church, how easily they can cause us just to be discouraged and to want to flop back and uh, give up in one way or another. And this is one of the things that I find increasingly remarkable as I get to know Father Lanteri and as the years of my own life go by too, is how this man faced these physical struggles in a degree that probably most of us don't. Some of us certainly do, and perhaps even more. But probably most of us through most of our lives do not face the severe physical struggles that this man did routinely from an early age in his life and somehow in the Lord found the strength to never give up. He would have to slow down at times 
At times he would have to suspend his work, but as soon as his energy recovered enough, he'd be back at it again. I think I quoted in one of our earlier conversations how one of those who knew him referred to him as the man with a hundred arms and a hundred tongues. That is the man who was engaged in everything that was going on, anything of any significance in the, in the nation and in the church. There he was in the midst of it trying to bring his Catholic faith and strengthen others in their Catholic faith in those different arenas. Not only did he not give in to that kind of discouragement that can come from physical struggles, but was able to be active in a way that even those without such struggles uh, admired as, as remarkable. Later on in his life, a Jesuit priest who knew him well would write of having seen Father Lanteri accomplish something, he doesn't specify what it was, but accomplish something for the Lord and for the church in a short period of time. And in this letter, he says that given his circumstances of health, the amount of time in which he did this was a miracle. That miracle of finding strength in the midst of physical struggles characterizes the entirety of his life. Now, perhaps that can lead us into the, the further struggle that I alluded to earlier, And this was the struggle to acquire, and I consciously use the word acquire because my own sense as I spent the years of writing this biography and reading his uh, manuscripts and getting to know him was that this didn't come naturally to him. But the only way he would become gentle with the gentleness of Christ was as an acquired virtue. My sense was that this was a man who was intelligent, efficient, capable, able to use his time wisely, able to see quickly and clearly the need in a given situation. As the years of his life went by, deeply learned in matters of the church and of theology and of the spiritual life. And therefore, a man who could easily become impatient with others who couldn't get there as quickly or who were facing other kinds of emotional struggles or burdens in life. He was aware of it. And he would refer to this at various times in his uh, spiritual journals of what he called a certain roughness in his character, which he knew was a harmful thing, knew that could alienate people rather than bring them closer to Christ, could make his priestly work more difficult to accomplish rather than more welcome uh, to people. And so decisively, from an early age in his 20s, he set out and never stopped working to try to grow in the gentleness of Christ. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And this is not only in his 20s, but we see the same thing in his 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. The last time that there is a reference to this is three years before his death, when he was 68, in which yet again, in a little page of notes, he resolves once more to try to acquire the gentleness of Christ. Now, there are a couple things that I find remarkable in this. One is the willingness to try to grow in a virtue which didn't come naturally to him. And we can all easily think of things like patience, for example, or being understanding or being willing to listen to a person who who needs to speak when we have a thousand other things on our agenda and so on. We can easily think of, of aspects of Jesus' way of living that do not come naturally to us. What comes to my mind as I'm saying this is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, Paul's description of charity. Love is patient, kind, it's not resentful, and the rest. When one or another of those aspects does not come naturally to us, here is a man who didn't simply say, this is the way I am, 
uh, it's never really going to change too much, but so deeply wanted to be like Christ in this aspect where I think he was most weak. I think this was the, the real struggle as far as imitating Jesus in his life. Was willing to face that struggle, had firm belief and faith that using the spiritual means that are given to us in the church, prayer and the sacraments, spiritual reading, confession, all the different tools and means that we have, that God's grace really would work and that God could transform him in a way that humanly wouldn't be possible. And that then never stopped, never got so discouraged that he gave up on this. There are points in his spiritual notes in which he lays out at length the different steps that he's going to try to take to acquire this virtue. Well, the first thing he's going to do is to make what St. Ignatius of Loyola called the particular examination of conscience, probably not something we speak about too much these days. But what St. Ignatius was pointing to is that in every spiritual life, as we try in every way to grow in holiness, grow in virtue, to live more like Jesus, for each of us, there will be one or another point where it is most difficult for us, where we struggle the most, where we're weakest. And so Ignatius says, if you can see what that point is, you remember the, um, the most ancient adage in the, uh, for the, in the entirety of the spiritual life, know thyself. You know how it is so often others see it and we don't? If we can come to the point where we see it, and then we're willing each day to renew the effort to try to grow in that specific point. So the way Ignatius has us do this is upon arising, a person proposes again before the Lord to try to grow in that specific area, goes through the morning, briefly at some point in the, the mid part of the day, takes a minute or two to review how it's gone in the morning with regard to that particular area, and then does the same in the evening as the day is concluding. And the person watches to see day by day, week by week, to see if there's growth with regard to this specific virtue. Now, let's just imagine a spiritual life in which a person is doing this constantly. As the years go by, eventually that weakest point will no longer be the weakest point. And then we can move on to something else. And so we're always focusing on a specific area to grow within the overall uh, desire for growth spiritually. So Bruno decides that he is going to choose as the topic of his particular examine this desire to grow in the gentleness of Christ. He would start his day by calling this to mind as he rises and then twice a day would review his progress in this virtue. At one point uh, in these notes, the Venerable Anne Terry decides to read from a spiritual classic. This is the practice of Christian perfection written by a Jesuit, Alonso Rodriguez, one of the great classics for the last several centuries in the spiritual life. He'll read and learn about the different obstacles which can hinder us and get in the way of growth in this virtue. And read also about uh, examples of this virtue. Look at the lives of other saints and holy men and women and how they have lived this virtue. Now, I think if any one of us was seeking, well, say, to grow in patience or become more prayerful uh, or any aspect of the spiritual life, if we were to choose that kind of spiritual reading, and today that could be amplified to all the digital resources that are there, and explore, just learn more about it. What, what this says is this isn't just a sheer brute effort of will. I choose to grow in the gentleness of Christ, and so I'm just going to try harder. He is going to try harder, but there's a wisdom in the effort. If he can learn more about this, he'll know how to direct that energy all the more accurately. He comes to see more clearly the obstacles. He comes to see more clearly 
the tools that help and the rest so that his energy is going to be well-focused in growth toward this virtue. He says, from time to time, I'll compare the way I respond to others with the way Jesus Christ responded to those whom he met. And so you can see him here as he reads through the Gospels in the liturgical cycle, in his own reading of the Gospels. At one point, he writes that he, he always wants to keep a small copy of the New Testament, of the Gospels, with him and try to read a chapter every day from the Gospels. Now, you can see him doing that with an eye to the gentleness of Christ, which is really remarkable if you think about it, the way Jesus receives the Samaritan woman whose life is so broken with five failed marriages and um, rejected by, by the others, or a Nicodemus whom he allows to come at night because he's too timid to come during the day, or the gentleness with which he responds to Mary Magdalene in her tears on the morning of Easter, just calling her by name, or Peter's broken heart and just letting him express his love. Do you love me? It really is remarkable when you look at the Gospels just how infinitely sensitive Jesus is to every human situation and how gently and with such healing manners Jesus relates to each of these persons. Now you can see the Venerable Aunt Terry drinking this in, absorbing this, reading this, reflecting on this, meditating on this. And you can begin to see as this whole set of proposals to grow in this virtue of gentleness, as we begin to outline them, you can see how the next time he meets a person that afternoon, it's going to be different. One of the other means that um, he undertakes to grow in this virtue is spiritual direction. It's something that he's going to talk about in spiritual direction so that he's not alone with this effort. And that might be something that um, a regular practice of confession could help us with a great deal, and certainly spiritual direction if we can find it. But a regular practice of confession and a chance maybe even, if only to say a few sentences about this and get a few sentences of encouragement in that sacrament can be enormously helpful. It really jumps out to me that, as you have stated so beautifully, that this really is more an act of the will, that even when the emotion of what he would, that would drive this quote-unquote roughness that he felt that he had, that he actually had to, very much like Christ, embrace the cross of that struggle and to go against it. Instead of allowing the emotion to drive the action, what this beautiful young priest is doing with the help of the scriptures, with the help of all those things, to embrace the suffering of the moment and act against it. Well, I think you touch on something fundamental there, Chris, because this isn't something that we can do on our own. I'll just say it myself. You know, if you're in a situation in which you feel, I don't have any more patience anymore. I'd like to be continue to be patient, but I'm spent. I just don't have the resources or the energy to be patient anymore. And we can be right that humanly speaking, we really don't have that kind of energy. And if all we have are our human resources then we are very likely to act out of that kind of impatience. Uh, a secular culture that doesn't know that there are other resources available to us will have to settle for the lowest common denominator. And that's when very sad things happen in people's lives, when relationships and families and so on break up and many unhappy things can happen in, in life. What makes possible for him what, is, what was, I think, humanly 
very unlikely to happen for him because it, that strong, you know, uh, and, and uh, capable humanity that he had. And I should say here before we go any further that he really did grow in this substantially. People came to love the gentleness that they saw in him as the years went by. What makes this possible for him is, as Jesus says in the gospel, this is impossible for men, but nothing is impossible for God. What makes the difference is grace, which is God's life in us, God's grace, uh, God's assistance, God's help, God's closeness, God's love poured into our hearts. And that means, as you said, Chris, it means using the means. That is, to be praying for this, to stay close to the Eucharist, to gain strength from a regular practice of the sacrament of confession, to make an examination of conscience, to do some spiritual reading. I listened to some talks about the particular virtue and to be accompanied along the way with another or others who share the same love and the same desire for this kind of growth. If we use these means, then what is not possible for us to our marvel, we discover, becomes possible, can really happen. This kind of transformation is real. It can really take place. And that's why I think it's so encouraging for us to come into contact with the saints. And in this case, with someone like the Venerable Ann Terry. Because these are lives that say to us that what we doubt is possible in our own lives, because we see so clearly our human limitations. We can know, even before we we begin the journey of growth, toward growth in this particular area, we can know that it's possible because other brothers and sisters before us, with the same humanity as ours, have walked that journey of growth. They were no stronger than we, but they opened themselves to God and to his grace, and in so doing, were able to grow in ways that became extremely fruitful in their own lives and through them for others. Would it be a stretch to say he became a saint in a very real way because of the struggles, because of the roughness, and his response in Christ? You know, this is a hard truth for us in a way, but the other side of it is something very comforting. What you point out is that much as we would rather be free of them, much as they're a burden for us, much as we would do anything at all if we could to have these removed from our lives, very often it's our very struggles which in God's providence become the space for growth toward holiness in our lives. I think it's easier for us to see that looking back over our lives than it is in the present because former struggles don't weigh quite so much anymore whereas present struggles can be very enveloping. But again, this is why it's so helpful for us to be able to see others who have walked the journey, uh, because they point out truths like this to us. I think you're right, Chris. I think that a significant part of the reason why the Venerable Land Terry became such a witness to God's mercy for so many people was such a source of hope for so many discouraged and disheartened people was a man by whom others felt so deeply understood was because he'd been there himself, because there were deep and painful struggles in his life and throughout his life. And so when they spoke to him, this was a brother. This was somebody else who was walking the same journey. It must have been very, very comforting for people to have him listen and nod his head in understanding and then say, The kinds of words that we all hope for when we reach out in times of struggles, not somebody who lightly brushes the struggle away or says some pious things which may be true but don't really speak to the situation in the way that we need. These would be words born of his own life, born of his own difficulties, born of his own burdens and struggles, which made of him a gentle, 
merciful, sensitive, and understanding and healing instrument of God's love in so many people's lives. I look forward to our future conversations around this incredible teacher of the faith. Well, I will say, Chris, that I found, uh, since I wrote the book, that as people speak to me about having read it, I'm struck by how this topic that we've discussed this time, his spiritual struggles, so frequently comes up when people say it's so comforting to know that a man whose heroic sanctity has been recognized by the church shared the same struggles that I share and how much hope and energy that that inspires. It does seem to be one of the aspects of, of this man which really gives life to others. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. You're so welcome, Chris. You've been listening to Begin Again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We pray that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Begin Again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher.